Namaskar, good morning, good day, good evening to those in uh, uh, India. Uh, we are going to begin our chat in a uh, few minutes. But here with me, uh, just to uh, get you guys grounded, and um, here with me is my co-conspirator, co-researcher, and my dear wife, Ashwini. And uh, she said she wanted to say a few words to you before I get into my monologue. Okay, so here is Ashwini. Namaskar and welcome to all of you. Uh, please feel free to ask as many questions to Nilesh and uh, we shall respond. It will be a pleasure to respond to all of you, to all your questions. If time does not permit, please email to him and he will respond. Thank you for joining us and have a good time and a good chat with him. Thank you. Bye. All right. So we will give a few minutes uh, before, we, before we start the chat. So try to get few systems done here, you know, so the volume is right. And keep in mind uh, that Murphy is always lurking around. So I have a good internet connection. Everything seems to be right on this side. But you know what? If something is going to go wrong, it will. And uh, please stay put through that. Um, I don't expect the connection to go down, but you never know. If that happens, I will reconnect and uh, so stay put, okay? All right, so let's give a few minutes for some of, uh, for, for a few others to join. And uh, then uh, I will start with the uh, introduction and I'll give you a quick agenda how this will go, okay? So some of the few things, if you, if you can hear me, uh, please let me know uh, that you, you are comfortable and you, you could hear both of us. Uh, Ashwini joined for first few minutes. All right, so uh, I am reading some of, the, some of your comments. Uh, thank you all for joining. All right, so. Okay, so we'll give uh, another minute or so. All right, so um, yes, we will we'll give some uh, others to um, others to join sometime. Um, in, yeah, so please, uh, I think you could hear me and that's great. And uh, uh, just make sure that we get a few things right here in terms of volume and uh, we will be ready to go. Okay, uh, very good. All right, I have kept um, 
glass of water next to me. Okay, so let's uh, let's begin and uh, keep in mind that uh, many others will be joining this. Uh, so, Namaskar and welcome to my uh, my first uh, Facebook live chat. Uh, now, for this is organized by Indic Book Club, and uh, they have organized many such similar Facebook live chats. So it's not first for them, and I want to. Uh, request all of you after this chat to go and visit indicbookclub.com and look at some of the uh, wonderful things that they are doing. Uh, now, Indic Book Club is a brainchild of uh, Sri Harikiranji and he has put a lot of effort, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of resources uh, around this Indic Book Club and there are many uh, volunteers who are working tirelessly to make this a success. So please uh, go visit indicbookclub.com and uh, the media partners for uh, this Indic Book Club uh, chat series, uh, you would know these names. One is Swarajya Magazine, it's an online magazine and uh, please, uh, again, most of you would be familiar with it, but if not, uh, please go and visit it. The other media partner is uh, Creative India Magazine and uh, I would also encourage you to visit them as well. And before I forget, and I forget a lot of things, so before I forget there is a, another announcement that I have to make and in this, that is this, in this Facebook live chat series there is going to be a independent day special and independent day because the audience is going to be global, let me specify the Independent Day referring to 15th of August, the India's independence from British. There is going to be a uh, Independent Day special live chat. Now it will be not on 15th, but it will be on 6th of August. And uh, it will be a surprise uh, chat in terms of uh, who will be on the chat. So please uh, join that chat as well, look for uh, announcement. But uh, mark your calendars, 6th of August, uh, Independent Day Special, Facebook Live Chat, again, organized by Indic Book Club. All right. So with that, what I want to do is um, uh, give you some background of uh, how I uh, got into this uh, research on the chronology of Mahabharata War. Uh, what my, my plan is to go for, uh, say, maybe around 20 minutes. Uh, and you can ping me there and stop me if I go too far after that and give you some background how I arrived at this, uh, what led me to uh, do this similar work that has been done by many other researchers and so why one more researcher needs to do this and then uh, what I want you to do is uh, after say 15 minutes or so or as I uh, cover some of the aspects, start typing your questions because that is the idea. The idea is that uh, uh, you actually ask uh, questions as a part of this online chat and uh, I will try to answer them as many as I can during the chat and those I may not able to address, I will definitely answer them in this particular Facebook live feed after the chat is over. Okay, so you will still get some brief answers. Sometime I will uh, 
just connect you to some blog article that I might have written uh, with uh, or sometime I may connect you to a YouTube chat or some uh, video of my presentation given at some conference with specific uh, time slots and I might say well just look listen to it for these specific minutes and it answers your question so this is about uh, listening to me for first uh, 20 minutes or so and then uh, please please ask questions okay as many questions as you like any questions as it relates to Mahabharata uh, if you can focus on chronology that's great but if uh, it's related to Mahabharata but not chronology that's fine too now I am not going to claim that I know the answers to all the questions in fact the there are many questions that we don't know the answers even in chronology and any other areas and there are some that we will never know the answers but what is wonderful about this scientific methodology is that even when we think we will not able to find answers to some of the toughest questions it's amazing how much actually we can know about it so with that let me uh, begin with how this all started so my interest in Mahabharata actually began with Bhagavad Gita and as all of you know Bhagavad Gita is a part of the Mahabharata text so from one thing led to another and uh, I said alright I have read Bhagavad Gita many times uh, different translations I had listened to uh, I have read Vinoba's uh, 18 lectures you know uh, given in Dulay prison uh, in 1932 uh, talks on Gita and I said okay so I have a reasonable idea as to what uh, what is there in Bhagavad Gita in terms of the content and since it's part of Mahabharata let me see uh, what else you see uh, in the rest of the Mahabharata and how cohesive it is how congruent it is with the message of Mahabharata and Bhagavad Gita together so that's how my journey began so go back to the year 1995 I was ready to uh, complete my masters that was in chemical engineering and it was uh, up in north in uh, Edmonton Canada and so my thesis was all done and I had some time uh, really nothing to do so I was uh, I said okay I had done enough in engineering uh, library so I went to uh, this uh, library of humanities uh, called Rutherford library and uh, was looking into the Indian section and uh, lo and behold and not a surprise to many who have been to many of the American libraries you will see almost every any good university library you will see a collection of the Bandarkar Oriental Research Institute uh, critical edition of Mahabharata you'll see many others but definitely you will see this again so I was going through it and just uh, see how much I can understand there is no translation there just Sanskrit verses so I was trying to see how much I can understand uh, just uh, quickly reading through it without the help of dictionary and whatnot and as I was going through it uh, I was looking for the Bhagavad Gita portion which is again Bhishma Parva and uh, so I started with the first chapter of Bhishma Parva and I was surprised because uh, the first chapter is the just the beginning of the war before even the war began actually and I ran across a series of astronomy observations now this is 1995 and my knowledge of astronomy especially Indian astronomy or astronomy in general was uh, very limited 
uh, I mean, I have heard some names of nakshatra, but if some would, somebody would have asked me to show them in the sky, I would be, I would have been clueless. So I was reading this uh, list, second chapter, and uh, I stopped at one observation. And uh, the reason it, I stopped because while I could not understand many of the other observations, I mean, I understood their literal meaning, but not sure what to do with it. Uh, this observation uh, was the observation, now famous observation of Arundhati Vasishta. Yachaisha Vistuta Rajas Trailoke Sadhu Sammata Arundhati Tayapesha Vasishta Prishtata Krutha. So I said, okay, Arundhati Vasishta, ah, I, I understand them. And the reason was me growing up uh, in, the, uh, in, in the villages of India, uh, I, had, I was fortunate to have uh, a very clear sight of the sky at night. And my teachers had shown me the Saptarshi and also the Arundhati and Vasishta. And what was so intriguing about this observation, which with my limited knowledge of Sanskrit, I, uh, I could understand, is that uh, Vyasa is telling to Dhritarashtra that at this time, which is just before the war, Arundhati is walking ahead of Vasishta. Now, you know, that by itself didn't mean much to me. But I said, okay, that's that's interesting. What's what's the big deal about it, you know? And uh, uh, then I started uh, finding out uh, more about it, and I ran into uh, a wonderful uh, professor. He was a professor of mathematics. Professor um, now uh, he passed away a few years ago. Uh, professor Mangesh Murdeshwar. He was professor of mathematics. I was in chemical engineering. Uh, but I just mentioned it to him uh, with a curiosity if he happened to know anything. And uh, he said, yes, he has heard about it somewhere. And then I went to his place and uh, he gave me a few books uh, of previous Mahabharata researchers. And that's how the journey began. So when I started uh, finding out, I, I started in the two different ways. One is to read uh, works of previous Mahabharata researchers. And in parallel, I started thinking um, about this Arundhati Vasishta observation. Now, again, I don't want to go into the nitty-gritty details of that observation, but what essentially it said is in our times, Vasishta is walking ahead of Arundhati, and uh, at the time of Mahabharat war, it was the other way, meaning Arundhati was walking ahead of Vasishta. And I thought, very naively of course, that ah, this should be easy to solve, you know, just find out a little bit of astronomy, find out their relative speeds and piece of cake. Uh, well, it wasn't piece of cake. Uh, it took me about 15 years before I could solve the mystery. And I wasn't just sitting, uh, doing other things and let the time uh, pass. No, I was um, very persistently, almost I was crazy after this observation. And I was uh, looking for uh, various uh, astronomy software uh, to see if I can figure out what does actually this thing mean. Then I moved to Calgary. I started uh, a job with uh, General Electric. Uh, so I was, I was doing my work. I was selling plastics. Uh, but I used to go, I, I found out the Department of Physics, Astronomy, went to the university there, uh, found uh, the appropriate professor. And... Uh, just, you know, went there uninvited and uh, tried to ask them more questions. And they fortunately, they were helpful. You know, they didn't understand what I was after. Uh, another anecdote worth telling about this is uh, 
when I was being interviewed for this, uh, my first job with G, I had done a couple other jobs in Canada before that. Um, these people, uh, so uh, I, the interview, I, I think it was a second or third interview, and the interview was at the Toronto International Airport. And so uh, I'm being moved from one terminal to another. I'm meeting different people. And uh, one of the uh, person that I met and I spent uh, longest time, more than like four hours with him uh, at the airport. Uh, and of, of, of course, afterwards, uh, he was uh, my colleague. Uh, his name, uh, again, a phenomenal uh, personality, uh, Sherwood McLernan, again from Toronto. And why I'm say, telling this story is because it's, it's hilarious. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it hasn't gone away from my mind. And uh, so he's asking me questions and I'm uh, hoping that he will ask me questions about my uh, sales experience, which I had none, by the way, but uh, about my plastics background, which I did have because my, my master's was in uh, polymer characterization. Uh, but uh, he will ask me about some other aspects of my personality. And uh, he just did some basic questions, but really he was saying, tell me more. What other things excites you? Uh, besides this, you know, besides this work, besides this. And I was really wondering, where is he going with all this? Uh, but, uh, you know, finally I ran out of my stock to tell him. And so I said, okay, this is not relevant to uh, this particular assignment. And so I said, well, you know, there is one intriguing observation in the old epic of India. And I gave him the whole story. And uh, it so happened, you know, and I'm just telling you guys, uh, this is, these are short, small miracles. Uh, he was into astronomy himself. Uh, and uh, so he said, tell me more. And he could relate to at least what I was telling him. Uh, I said, Arundhati, Vasishta, and he could immediately tell me uh, the corresponding names from Western astronomy, like Alcor and Misa. And so anyways, I'll move on from that. But what is interesting is uh, 15 years later, um, more than 15 years later. And uh, when I wrote my book, When Did the Mahabharata War Happen? Uh, the Mystery of Arundhati, and I'm sure most of you have seen this. I sent him a copy and um, he no longer uh, works in that area and I don't longer work in that area either. And he said, ah, I remember what you were saying. And so you were definitely after this. So it's a nice anecdote, you know, in terms of, and uh, he, was, he was impressed um, that, uh, I never gave this up on, on this Arundhati and Vasishta. So anyways, uh, I want to go five more minutes. Uh, so it started with this observation on 8th of May, 2009. Finally, I figured out the mystery. I actually figured out that can be tested objectively. Any one of you can go to the simulation and find it out for yourself. Any one of you can actually do the uh, mathematical calculations and uh, find out that this is true that Arundhati actually in the past was indeed walking ahead of Vasishta. I'm not going to go into the details of the phenomenon. It's in my book. It's on my blog and there are many uh, presentations on the YouTube. But you know that night 8th May when on Friday I was working on this late into the night until 2.30 or so. And when actually finally I figured out, I was doing mathematical calculations, who is ahead of who, using right ascension and some uh, astronomy quantities. 
And when actually I saw the number that I was looking for, I couldn't believe that this is true. Um, I thought maybe I'm delirious, you know, I'm work it was 2.30 in the morning. So I made a big pot of uh, hot ginger tea and sat down again and calculated these things again until 5 o'clock in the morning to convince myself that I wasn't hallucinating. So uh, that's how it started. And then uh, I said, all right, uh, so I have done this, but if I could do this, these all great Mahabharata researchers uh, dedicated to it in academia and otherwise, and I was just a novice uh, doing this thing on the sideline, they must have done this before. And to my surprise, I found that out of more than 130 different researchers, hardly anyone has even mentioned this observation. Uh, in fact, there are only four uh, researchers who at least bothered to mention it. Uh, and one of the researcher, uh, Dr. P.V. Vartak, uh, he had tried to uh, test this observation to see why and when Arundhati would go or would have gone ahead of uh, Vasishta in three different ways. And, you know, he didn't succeed. He didn't have any access to software. He was doing everything manually. Um, and uh, the trick was to find out what truly it means to say that it goes ahead of Vasishta. Now, some of there are those people who are familiar with astronomy, you know what that means. But, uh, it, you know, there can be different interpretations. I mean, especially when you don't know. Uh, Galileo has said, you know, the, the trick is to make the discovery. Once somebody makes the discovery, everybody can understand what it is. But the point is to make the discovery. And so that's a challenging part. Anyways, so I could make that discovery. And uh, then when I realized, that nobody else has uh, uh, addressed this observation, that is when I initially thought, okay, at least I should write a white paper. So I started writing a white paper. So I was looking for reference material from other researchers. And then I realized, especially started when I started reading their works, uh, I was glad that there were hundreds of these people, hundreds of these researchers who have done this work. But it was also uh, disappointing, I don't know if that's the right word, uh, that uh, many of them, and I see that now as a widespread phenomenon, where uh, majority is uh, unfortunately ignorant of the basic scientific methodology. And I'll just give you one example and uh, then let, let's see if we, if we can get into questions. The simple, I mean, I'll just again use, uh, there are, if you think of a theory or scientific theory and evidence, uh, you can think of four or five key things. For example, uh, what is the statement of your theory, Siddhanta, okay? So, um, for example, if you go to Johannes Kepler, what is his theory? Uh, the simple statement is that he will say all the, uh, I mean, orbits of all the planets are not circular, but they are elliptical. So you can say the statement, you know, say the main theme of a theory in a single statement. All right. If you ask Newton, what is the key thing about his theory? And he would say that there is a attractive force between the masses and there is a specific formula how they are related, you know, the mass and the distance between them. If you ask Copernicus, what is the key uh, point of his thesis? He would say, well, not Earth at the center, but the sun at the center of now what we call solar system. 
So all the theories should have a simple statement. And what I found with uh, these researchers is that I couldn't find one single statement. In fact, it wasn't there. Uh, what they were doing was a patchwork, trying to explain every observation in every different way they could. And you know, that that is uh, still a worthy effort, especially uh, when the there are more than 200 plus astronomy observations. And uh, this is not like fitting those of you who are mathematically minded. This is not uh, uh, fitting um, uh, like a nth order polynomial, like, you know, lots of data points and you're drawing a curve through going through those data points. It's not that simple. Uh, it, it has layers. Uh, in fact, the analogy uh, now I use is imagine you are uh, creating a painting, you know, so initially just a plain uh, surface and you may sketch with a pencil. So that's like a certain evidence allows you to sketch your painting with a pencil. And then you think of another set of evidence, again, all astronomy evidence that I'm referring to, that allows you to add certain objects and then some other set of uh, astronomy evidence that allows you to uh, add colors, uh, then another set of astronomy evidence that uh, allows you to add different shades, gloss, and so on. So it's a different type of, uh, a complex type of jigsaw puzzle. And um, so you can understand uh, the uh, different creativity that was employed by various Mahabharata researchers. That's all fine. But imagine this. I'll take uh, two uh, key points of scientific uh, method. One is the evidence and another one is testability. So evidence, it's uh, you think it's a common sense that uh, one should use all the relevant evidence in the context of a specific theory. And the second part is that it should be objectively testable. But what is uh, important is that you test all the astronomy evidence, in this case astronomy evidence, all the relevant evidence, and you uh, summarize it, which of the evidence supports your theory, your proposal, and which of the evidence does not support your theory or proposal. And what I found, um, 99% of these researchers is they had selectively picked the evidence and just to give you an analogy imagine you have lots of data points and you're drawing a straight line through those data points even if you close your eyes and draw one line it will go through few data points especially if you have lots of data points and uh, their approach was very similar to this that as if they drew a line and whichever data point fell on that line they said oh, look these data points fall on my line, so whatever I'm proposing is good. Unfortunately, that wouldn't stand anywhere in a, in a scientific method. So, uh, so that's when I felt, ah, I need to write this. And I did not know, other than writing research papers uh, or essays <laughs> for the exams, I never thought of myself as a writer. So I did not know um, if I would able to write. So I started with the white paper. And it took me two years. So I discovered this uh, mystery of Arundhati in uh, 2009, May 2009. And it took me two years, uh, 4 June, 4th June 2011 is when I published my uh, book, When Did the Mahabharata War Happen? And uh, the rest is, of course, the history, but also history in the making. Uh, and I sent copies to uh, various uh, Mahabharata researchers, as many as I could find, identify, locate uh, through um, physical address, 
through email and I sent them my books, either e-copies or uh, paperback. And I heard from uh, maybe two or three of them. Uh, and um, well, the, I mean, since then I said, uh, please, uh, you know, find uh, holes in my arguments. And there are many who have actually done uh, a great reading uh, from my book and have brought up uh, some of the objections, which either I could respond or actually I ended up uh, rewriting, not in the book, but uh, refining some of the uh, corroborations or some of the objective testing that I had done. And I should mention one name, um, that's uh, Sri Prabhakar Fadnis. Uh, he was 85 years old and I say he was because he passed away uh, very recently, just uh, a month ago. Uh, and uh, I would say he read my book like nobody else. He must have read it many times. And uh, again, many other uh, readers write me through email and these days through Facebook. Uh, telling me that uh, they end up reading my book many times. It's not a one-time read and every time they read the book, they get something more that they missed a previous time. All right, so what I want to do is, again, I can go on and on about this book, but it would be really nice uh, if um, uh, you start asking questions and I'm going to go here and uh, let's see uh, what I find. Okay, so it's time, uh, folks, to uh, start asking questions. I do have a few questions uh, that I received uh, before, and some of them said uh, they may not able to uh, join. Okay, so bear with me. This is my first Facebook live chat, and uh, um, and I'm going to take a question from. Um, Let's see, the first question is uh, not a question, it could be a comment. Let me see. Um, so bear with me, guys, okay? So let's see here. Okay, so I see one from uh, Jijit Nadumuri Ravi. I know him uh, very well. He is also uh, part of this Indic Book Club. Uh, very dedicated person uh, to uh, Dharma in general, but history and um, of about the Indic traditions and various aspects of Indic tradition. So he, he quoted the words there and I'm sure you may be able to read that as well. Um, okay, and so he, he is uh, saying Arundhati and Vasishta seems to have misled uh, me and he's saying misled you. Uh, it is, uh, so that's good, you know, I mean, I think we need a critic and that's how uh, these theories, theories progress. Number of you may not know this, and actually many of you would be, would be aware, that in spite of extremely uh, dynamic and revolutionary theory of uh, gravity, for more than 150 years after Newton, uh, the theory was not accepted by good number of individuals, even those uh, who had a scientific learning. Uh, so uh, what happens when a revolutionary theory comes, uh, it really shakes the foundations for many of us. And uh, it takes us uh, time before um, uh, we get comfortable with the new reality. So anyways, let me read his question. So he says, it's only a single verse, which means Arundhati keeps Vasishta on her back. The immediate verse 32 says uh, the other sign is another astronomy observation. So... Um, Okay, so I'm not going to read, uh, Jijit, uh, 
I, it, it's great that what you have written, it could be a great comment for uh, others to read and I will read that afterwards. Uh, but uh, what I would suggest is uh, please all of you, when you ask question, if you please ask question, if you want to give a comment, that's fine, but it's more uh, appropriate to ask questions here. And please ask a question that is like two lines, you know. So, and you know, I'll give you a hint. Uh, the good questions, the great question starts with when, what, why, where, how, etc. Uh, so, um, the, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole comment of Jijit. I'm going to go down to see if uh, there is something that I can address on this call. Um, uh, okay, he admires my dedication. That's fine. Let me see if there's a point. This is my advice as a friend and well-wisher. We remain friends, irrespect. Okay, so there is no question. Uh, so summarize, he doesn't uh, uh, agree uh, with uh, my work, uh, but, but the bigger uh, bigger problem really is, uh, has he read my work? And uh, he has not uh, told me that he has read it. So uh, Jijit, I would encourage you to read my work. Uh, there are many who have actually read multiple times and uh, they have critiqued my work and that has benefited me a lot and I have refined uh, some of my corroborations and experiments. Uh, so anyways, you can read his comment. Let's go further down. Uh, this is from Arya Prakash Dash. And please forgive me if I'm not saying your name correct. Uh, who, is the strongest uh, who is the strongest opposition you have seen with a different claim? And what was their claim? Great question. Uh, did you debate and convince him? Okay, so this is from uh, Arya Prakash Dash. Uh, so there are three questions, great questions. First question, who is the strongest opposition you had seen with a different claim? Uh, I would say, uh, now the strongest opposition in what sense? There, there are two senses. One is, uh, of course, the content, you know, the quality of an argument that they have made. And the second is the noise that is made around it. The first question, in terms of the quality of argument, um, let me think. Uh, it's it's a tough one, but a tough one because I really don't think there is uh, any strong opposition out of these 130 different claims. But if I have to uh, pick one or two, which uh, uh, which at least uh, have understood the methodology and they may not have even come up with a final date, but they understood why they could not come come up with a final claim. Uh, we have to go back actually 100 years. Guys, I'm not kidding. We have to go back by 100 years to a work of great astronomer. Now, when I say great astronomers, a number of you may not have heard the name, but if you have, lucky you. Shankar Balakrishna Dikshit. He was a contemporary of Lokmanya Tirak and also a good friend of Lokmanya Tirak. And his books, uh, great books on the history of Indian astronomy, first written in Marathi then translated in English by others. And those are still considered as a great treatise, treatise on uh, this subject. Uh, and he gives a very good treatment of uh, this chronology issues. Now, he doesn't come up with a specific date. Uh, he evaluates a work of another uh, researcher uh, named Lele. And I have not seen his original work of Lele, so I don't know. So that's one work. The, the, the second work I would say, uh, coming from 1960s or so, is by Bharatratna uh, Panduranga Vamankani. Uh, and uh, he wrote a book on totally different subject, History of Dharma Shastra. But in one of the volume, I think volume three, 
he discusses that work and again doesn't suggest a specific date but uh, please go ahead and read it it's available in pdf and in a uh, archive.org and you will see how uh, detailed and how methodical he is uh, and the, the third i should mention mention is uh, dr pv vartha now he used different theories to explain it but the reason he was forced to because before my work he is the only and to this date besides me he is the only mahabharat researchers doesn't matter which field only mahabharat researcher uh, who has taken into account all the astronomy evidence everyone else bottom line just found few data points that will fit their timeline and move on with it so that's the answer to your first question the second one and what was their claim so while shankar balakrishna dikshit did not have a specific claim but based on uh, some uh, star positions and i won't go into the detail i will encourage you to read his book uh, and you definitely need some astronomy background to understand what he's saying uh, he has proposed well it could be as far back as 7300 bc but you know he wasn't putting any specific timeline panduranga vaman kane he explored all the, the evidence and he said well the, we can't really make uh, a judgment call and obviously that did not include arundhati vasishta observation and i'll make make mention some other observation too and uh, the last question is did you debate and convince uh, him or them well that's that's a great question uh, i encourage all mahabharata researchers uh, the current mahabharata researchers who are still around especially those who have claimed a specific year of mahabharata war to uh, come together and discuss debate uh, we can do this through uh, some communication like a email i mean we can start there anyways but the better way even even to actually get together in person do uh, i suggest them do it on camera do it off camera do it in a moderated fashion do it in a non moderated fashion a place of mutual convenience a time of mutual convenience and uh, to this day i have uh, no nobody has come forward uh, one notable exception and uh, you know that is uh, dr konrad els now he you know he I, and please uh, i will send you the link here of that debate and you can watch it uh, and make your own mind but that's the kind of discussions we need or debate which is where both parties come together they put forward their views they actually debate and leave it to the uh, audience leave it to the readers Uh, to decide you know uh, what what uh, uh, they gain from this so to your question uh, no other than konrad elst uh, i haven't had a debate actually sometime i do uh, end up debating with few researchers recently there was uh, this researcher from germany or uh, switzerland uh, uh, mr i don't know if he's a phd so uh, either doctor or mr uh, shri dieter koch and uh, he has uh, either proposed on his own or picked up essentially a date of uh, one named daftari you know and again i'm familiar with all these claims uh, but then uh, we started a email back and forward uh, he had copied me on his note it went on for two or three rounds and uh, in my language he ran away uh, obviously he would have a different story if you ask him uh, but uh, what i'm doing is that communication that i had with him um i am putting it uh, in small packets uh, at my blog site and on that count i'll also mention uh, i have a blog uh, which is at uh, 
you can just go to Google and find out. But nileshop.wordpress.com and I have hundreds of uh, small blog articles written, mostly responding to questions like these. Okay. Uh, so please, I'll encourage you to go there and read this. So Dieter Koch is another one that comes to mind. Um, uh, Professor Achar, uh, he has proposed 3067 BCE. Now that is not his original date, just like uh, Dieter Koch's date is, doesn't appear to be original. It's originally Daktari's date, you know. Um, so Achar, coming back to Achar, uh, it was proposed by Srinivas Raghavan in 1969. And he proposed with some additional um, astronomy observations. Uh, some 15 years ago, as uh, Achar, uh, Professor Achar became aware of it. And so he started with the work of uh, Srinivas Raghavan. But then uh, he realized that there are many observations that really do not match. So he removed them. Uh, and then he thought there are 12 observations that do match for 3067 BCE. And he claimed, therefore, that is the date of Mahabharata War. And uh, some of you may be familiar with uh, uh, another good filmmaker, uh, Dr. Manish Pandit. Uh, he's a medical professional, but he has done some good uh, documentaries. One is uh, Krishna, the myth or reality, a, a good film. And there he uses work of um, uh, Professor Achar and uh, pushes that 3067 BC as the date. Again, we didn't, did not have a debate. I did have an email communication with uh, Professor Achar since 2011 or even actually before that. Um, but what I have shown that the 12 observations that Achar claims, I have shown that each and every observation actually can be shown to falsify 3067 BCE. Not only it doesn't support 3067 BCE, but each of the observation falsifies. Okay, I'll, I'll stop on that. Let's see if we can find another question. Um, uh, okay, Shantanu uh, Eskambekar is asking, uh, are there similar astronomical positions as depicted in Mahavarat before the simulation? Uh, Shantanu, can you rewrite your question? I'm not sure what you exactly mean by that. If there are similar astronomical position as depicted in Mahavarat before the simulation, I'm not sure what the question is. Uh, let, let me move on to the, but you can rewrite your question. Let me go to the next question. Uh, this is coming from uh, Pramod Kumar Burwaldi. How do you explain the recurrence of the same Rishi over many time periods? Good question. Uh, time travel or immortality or same name recurring over centuries of a Rishi from the same Sampradaya. Okay. Um, and you know, uh, as I said, the questions do not have to be exactly about the chronology of Mahabharata, but this is uh, relevant and related. So how do you explain the recurrence of the same Rishi over many time periods? So just let me give you a few examples. For example, uh, Vasishta. Let's start with Vishwamitra. There is a Vishwamitra Rishi who, uh, to whom uh, many Ruchas of Rugveda are assigned to. Okay, so we don't know how far back we have to go. Uh, then if you look at the story of Trishanku, there is a Vishwamitra who tried to put Trishanku into space. Uh, and I have determined the timing of Trishanku to be around, don't fall off your chairs, guys, those who are not familiar with this, but around 13,000 BCE, okay, 13,000 BCE, which is around 15,000 years ago. Time of Trishanku, again, based on uh, various astronomy descriptions, astronomy observations, 
from uh, Ramayana, uh, but also from Mahabharata. Anyways, so there is this Vishwamitra. Then you come to the timing of uh, Ram, and uh, again, I have that my second book, number of you may be aware of it. And again, I don't want to talk about that book here, but uh, the historic Ram that I wrote in 2014, uh, I used the identical methodology uh, to arrive at the timing of uh, Ramayana and different instances of Ramayana. So in uh, so timing of Ramayana, I, uh, I came up with as uh, 12,209 BCE for the uh, Ram Ravan Yuddha. Uh, so there also we have, I mean, the time of Ram, we also have Vishwamitra. And you will find Vishwamitra in Mahabharata also, which is 5,561 BC, 6th millennium. You will find the same thing about Valmiki. Valmiki is, of course, the one who wrote uh, Ramayana. That's uh, 13 millennium BC. But you also have Valmiki in Mahabharata. Same thing with Vasishta. So the point is, how do we have these? Are these uh, same individuals who are uh, living that long with some uh, yogic sadhana? Now, we have heard about these stories, people living with... Uh, some yogic siddhi. But here we know, actually, we have descriptions, very clear descriptions. Uh, the, for example, take Vasishta. It means a, uh, the sage Vasishta and uh, say, imagine start with a the sage Vasishta, whoever that is, for argument's sake. And uh, his disciples would also be considered sage Vasishta. His sons would be considered sage Vasishta. His adopted sons uh, would also be considered Vasishta. And that is how uh, we have these many Vasishta, many uh, Vishwamitra, many Valmiki, even frankly many Parshuram. So these are the descendants in the same, uh, same uh, either genetic succession or disciplic succession. All right, so hope uh, Pramod, I answered your question. Uh, let's go to uh, Ameya Modak. Please discuss at least one Mahabharata astronomy seasonal reference which is not discussed in your book or on your blog if time permits. Okay. Uh, Ameya Modak is uh, putting me on the spot. Okay. So let's, I'll discuss a couple. Uh, so Mahabharata astronomy, uh, at least one Mahabharata astronomy seasonal reference. Okay. Um, see, right now we consider Chaitra as a beginning of a month. And of course, we tie that with uh, the beginning of or the middle of uh, spring season. Okay. Now, because of the precision of equinoxes, it has shifted. But if we go back 2000 years, then uh, month of Chaitra, lunar month of Chaitra was indeed at the, uh, at the center or towards the beginning of uh, spring season. In Mahabharata, there are no direct references, but many indirect references that uh, uh, gives us a hints, okay, that uh, Sharad Rutu was the beginning of a year. Now, it's important to keep in mind that uh, that is true even in our times. For a minute, think of it. Of course, now we have more non-Indian calendars to the mix. So, 1st of January is, um, is uh, one beginning of the year. Uh, which obviously was at some time before started with the winter solstice. But anyways, within the Indian tradition, we have multiple calendars almost prevalent at any given time, uh, almost, at least four calendars. And you can see the hints for these in our ancient literature. One starting with the winter solstice, one starting with the summer solstice, and one starting with spring equinox and uh, the fall equinox. 
okay but so uh, in mahabharat there are enough clues that possibly the year started with the sharat season okay there is a big deal about sharat season and uh, in the shanti parva what you find multiple places actually is that uh, the first month of the calendar of mahabharat time lo and behold uh, i did not know this for a long time uh, even even after i read mahabharat 10 times you know and i have read many more times but it's amazing how much you will miss uh, that the first month of the year was Margasrisha at that time. Uh, you can find multiple references in Shanti Parva. Now I want to connect that with the season. Now come back to Bhagavad Gita, where in a 10th chapter, 10th Adhyay, Vibhuti Yoga, Krishna is describing uh, himself as a Kusumakar, you know, the season of flowers. And then he's also saying, Masanam Margasrishosmi, you know, so among the months, I am Margasrisha. So just like in the mountains, Himalaya, again, the rivers, he's a Ganga and so on. Um, and uh, so if you put this all together, uh, you will see that he's saying among the months, he's a Margashirsha. So naturally the question comes, why Margashirsha? And uh, I have written a blog, again, I'll encourage you to read, which is Kusumakar. It could be uh, the season of flowers. It could be spring season, but don't forget, it could be also the Sharat season. In fact, I am asserting that it was a Sharat season. That's what he's referring to. And also re referring to Mbruga Shirsha as the um, month of uh, Sharat season. Okay. Also the uh, beginning of a Sharat season, uh, beginning of a year with month of Margashirsha. And if you put this all together in the context of the precision of equinoxes, lo and behold, it takes you to a time period 4000 BCE through 6000, 7000 BCE. All right. So hope, uh, may I give you at least uh, one or two or three references there. Um, I, I'll go back to Shantanu's question. I mean to ask where there were there similar astronomical positions even even before mentioning Mahabharata. Did you simulate it beyond the occurrence? Oh, okay. Uh, I I hope I have tried to ask. Okay, so I will I will answer the question thinking what I have understood. So, for example, uh, and Ashantanu, if it's not, that's fine. You can write the question, and after this chat, I will still uh, respond to that. Um, people think, and that's true, that number of these phenomena, all astronomy phenomena, are recurring. Okay, they just get repeated after a short period of time or after a long period of time. Like Saturn will come to the same position every 30 years. Jupiter would do that every 12 years. Uh, sun comes to the same position every year, once every year and so on. But uh, interestingly, this phenomenon of Arundhati Vasishta or Arundhati walking ahead of Vasishta is not a recurring phenomenon. Now, going forward, it will occur again 11,000 years from now. But as far as the past is concerned, uh, it happened only once. And just to give you a time frame, I will say it happened only once in last 10 million years. I think that will be sufficient. You know, there would be no arguments as to if Mahabharata, what happened before that. Let's hope so anyways. So it is a very unique phenomenon. And that's why it's very powerful. But let me connect with something else. For example, I started with uh, uh, concern of Jijit Nadumuri Ravi uh, that I have post put too much emphasis on Arundhati Vasishta observation. Well, you have to know, um, you have to read my book. Uh, you have to know how science works and uh, you have to know the actually worth reading biographies of many great scientists to realize that how a single observation have made revolution. 
and Arundhati Vasishta is not a uh, exception to that. But fortunately, we don't have to just limit ourselves to Arundhati Vasishta observation. In the Mahabharata, uh, and there may be a question, but I'll just, uh, because on the topic, I will mention it. In the Mahabharata text, there are 23 plus specific references related to Bhishma Nirvana. Now, this has nothing, absolutely nothing, nada, to do with Arundhati Vasishta observation. Okay, so keep that aside. Just based on the 23 plus astronomy observations related, astronomy chronology observations related to Bhishma Nirvana, we can say with equal mathematical certainty that Mahabharata war did not happen even a day later than 4500 BC, 4700 BC, 3700 BC. And that's because I'm being extremely conservative to ensure that I covered every single possibility. So let's take 3700 BC period, not even a day later than 3700 BC, purely based on the set of astronomy observations related to Bhishma Nirvana. Forget Arundhati Vasishta. So, Jijit, uh, if you are still listening to me, uh, and uh, of course this video recording will come out, but you know, Jijit is asking on behalf of uh, many others who might be having a similar uh, concern. Uh, this concern is uh, not uh, founded in appropriate fashion. Uh, I would encourage them to read uh, uh, history of science last 400 years and see, uh, so some names to throw in there, Kepler, Copernicus, uh, Newton, uh, if you go to electromagnetism, Faraday and Maxwell uh, and Lagrange, uh, guys, I mean, there's a Einstein and so many, uh, just see one observation has made a revolution. So that argument is not valid to begin with. Fortunately, we don't have to depend on one observation. Just set of Bhishma Nirvana leads to the same thing. Just now I talked about the Margashirsha as the first month, Margashirsha as the month matching with the Sharad season, Margashirsha as the month or the Sharad season as the month of flowers. If you put together again, it takes us to 4000 to 6000 BC and so on. Okay, let's see. Um, uh, okay, Ame is writing again, um, uh, one reference which doesn't corroborate 5561 BC, one which you haven't discussed yet in your book or on my blogs. Uh, there is uh, no, there are no direct astronomy references. There is one uh, reference which can be considered astronomy uh, and I have written on my blog. So you say not on my blog. So no. Uh, so let me answer Ame to your question uh, to the best of my knowledge. There is no reference. Now, I'm not saying that you won't find one. So please, uh, I, this is a uh, request to all. Uh, anytime uh, you read Mahabharata and find uh, anything that is not included in my 215 and that you that is astronomy reference, bring it to my attention. Okay, and I want to test it. It should be tested against the 5561 BC and see if it matches or not. Uh, so to answer your question, uh, there is no reference that I'm aware of, astronomy reference or even relevant reference, the, that is not covered in my book or on my blog that uh, disagrees with my timeline. There is none. Okay. That doesn't mean it's not there. I would encourage you to find it out. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth uh, Pankaja Benik, again, forgive me if I'm, I did not say the name right, uh, Elizabeth. Uh, so sorry, I haven't read your book yet. No doubt you treated this question. 
what is your take on the Kali Yuga timeline? Okay, that is a, I'll make it short. That is a long question. Let me take a sip of a tea. <laughs> Usually any question on the Kali Yuga, you know, requires that. I have addressed this, tried to address it in uh, my book in a very, um, you know, in few pages. I also discussed this question of Kali Yuga or Yuga and how does my timeline fit with the Yuga timeline? That's the broader question. Uh, let me start with what Mahabharat has to say. Mahabharat has five or six different theories for the Yuga. Okay. Now, they don't necessarily agree with each other. So, even if we have to pick one theory of Yuga from the Mahabharata, the question would be which one? Okay, so that's, that's one. Then, if you go outside Mahabharata into the Puranas, that's where this uh, Yuga, Kali Yuga is uh, more uh, nicely, more broadly elaborated. What you will find is there are almost as many definitions, as many mentions of this Yuga system. And I have a whole long list of those references, uh, courtesy of uh, uh, another great researcher and an extremely knowledgeable person, uh, Sri Arun Upadhyayji. You know, he is a now, I think, retired IPS officer. And um, his passion is, uh, again, Indian history and astronomy. And um, amazing. I mean, he can recall so many uh, specific references from his memory, sheer memory, and he can write it. So he has kindly sent me a whole long list. So I have it as many times it is mentioned, almost those many different definitions, different definitions for the duration and so on. So again, the question is which one we take. I like the definition, uh, one of the definitions given in Mahabharat, where uh, Bhishma uh, says uh, connected to the Yuga is Raja Kalasya Karanam. Like king by his behavior, by his administration, defines the type of yuga that will come. We can all relate to that with the Karma Siddhanta and everything else. Uh, so depending on the situation, that's how the yuga was called. Uh, there is an astronomy theory of a yuga, which is to say uh, this measurement was taken as, um, you know, two types of measurement. One is the real measurement, the real time that we know. And another one is the moment of stars. And this is written by, again, thanks to uh, Abhi Shivdas and Christina, who brought that book to my attention by uh, one named Sri Karnik. And I may be saying a wrong name. Actually, if you take his timelines for the duration of uh, uh, each Yuga, and uh, if you assume the Kali Yuga began with 3102 BCE, uh, my proposed timeline of Mahabharat falls into Dwapari Yuga as it should, based on the multiple descriptions of Mahabharata text. And my proposal for the Ramayana, 12,209 BCE, falls rightly into the Treta Yuga, as is expected, based on the timeline proposed by Karnik. Now, uh, there is no conspiracy here, guys. I don't know exactly who this Karnik is. Until a month ago or so, somebody brought it to my attention. I have not met him. But the point is, so yes, I can take one definition and it perfectly fits for my timelines. Now the question is, will people be willing to accept uh, the timeline or durations proposed by Karnik? The answer is they won't be. They will be pulling all the other references, which is every other reference that will not agree with it. And that is the scenario for no matter which definition of a yuga 
that you use. Okay, so I hope I have answered that. So it's a, not a question that we are going to solve it very easily. Uh, there are many dimensions to it, many theories about what this duration is, Daivi versus Manushi years, and it goes on and on. Okay, so let me move on. Um, okay, so Raj Vedamji from Houston writing, most well-meaning researchers might not like your date using Arundhati Vasishta because it invalidates the Puranic King List and the Feb 18.3102 BC date start of Kali Yuga. Please explain by deconstruction. Uh, and uh, why Kali Yuga cannot be pegged to 3102 BCE uh, by despite the reference by Aryabhatta and most Indic writers. Okay, so let me take it uh, in stride here. So what Raj Vedamji is saying is most well-meaning researchers will not accept uh, my date based on Arundhati Vasishta. Uh, and my broad answer to them is uh, first thing they have to explain, I mean, period, why they, wh what is it about Arundhati Vasishta that they don't like? Because if they are throwing Arundhati Vasishta, the same rule would apply to rest of the 200 astronomy observations. Now, granted, there are interpolations and additions and so on. But just now I described, even if you keep aside Arundhati Vasishta and only look at the Bhishma Nirvana reference, still it is going to take you before 4000 BC. If you look at the references to Sharad season and Mrugashirsha, there are 30 plus, I'm just saying 30 plus, 40, 60 references uh, to Sharad season, month of Margashirsha, uh, uh, and the timing of uh, Mahabharat war. That by itself, again, nothing to do with Bhishma Nirvana reference, nothing to do with Arundhati Vasishta. It is going to take you beyond 4000 BC. And there are a few more, I won't go there. Uh, so, so don't have to limit yourself to Arundhati Vasishta. Now getting to the 3102 BCE, my position is, I don't know how Aryabhatta or if Aryabhatta decided that 3102 BCE was the beginning of the year. What we do know is that this assumption or understanding that 3102 BCE as the beginning of a Kali Yuga, for whatever reason, did exist in India for a long time. For example, calendars, Indian calendars made as early as uh, 1500 years ago or 2000 years ago, assume 3102 BCE as the beginning of Kali Yuga, you know, for their calculation as a, as an epoch, you know, the starting epoch. So they use that. Uh, if you look at, uh, now I'll connect that with the uh, other one that uh, you, you are mentioning as a part B, Rajvedamji. Could the Puranic King list be incomplete? I'll come to that. But let's say uh, the Puranic King list mentioning Vishnu Puran or Bhagavad Puran, and they typically talk of uh, 1000 years, 1100 years or 1500 years between a certain king that historically we think we know their timing. And there is a challenge, there is a problem too. In fact, another great researcher, Vedvir Aryaji has shown that those timings for uh, our modern uh, kings like uh, Gupta and Maurya, there is a lot of confusion and he has put some good work out there. But let me go back to uh, 3102 BC. So, uh, so Bhagavad Puran or Vishnu Puran, we can also determine the approximate time when they were written or updated, uh, at least updated. And that comes to around uh, 1600, 1700, 1800 BCE. And from that, if you go backwards, you can see the assumption of whoever updated Bish uh, Bhagavad Puran or Vishnu Puran, that they were also assuming 3102 BCE as the beginning of 
Kali Yuga. So that assumption of 3102 BC is a old one and it is in India for a long time, at least I would say for 4000 years because Bhagavad Quran also seems to be assuming that. But other than that, now if you go to the internal evidence of Mahabharata text, there is a mention of uh, Kali Yuga and all that, but there is not a single reference that you can objectively test that will allow you to come to 3102 BCE as the beginning of Kali Yuga. So there is definitely a disconnect and it needs uh, additional research. We may find the answer, we may not find the answer, but that's my uh, answer there. Okay, uh, let's see. Um, all right, I'm going down the list uh, in this. Okay, now uh, please what I'm going to do is uh, if it's a comment or if you are providing me uh, additional information, I am going to read that and I will comment on it after the chat. Uh, what I do want to do is uh, address uh, as many uh, crisp questions as I can. Okay, so please those of you who have joined, uh, if you want to ask a question, ask a crisp question that typically starts with when, what, why, how. Uh, as uh, some of the questions that I just read, they were great questions. Um, and I will answer, even if I don't get a time to answer this during uh, this chat time uh, period, I will answer uh, to them after the chat, okay, because the questions will stay here. Okay, so Nilay Trivedi is asking, where can I find Mahabharat for reading? Uh, many sources. But uh, let's assume if you can read in Hindi, uh, if you go to archive.org and type Mahabharat uh, and you are going to find uh, uh, the Gorakhpur Press uh, translation in Hindi and also with Sanskrit verses. So that's like a, a online uh, source that wouldn't cost any money. Uh, it, it would be a great idea if you prefer to read in a book form, which I do myself. Uh, to order them from Gorakhpur Press, okay? I think they come in six volume. And again, uh, it is not going to cost you much, okay? Uh, so that's answer to your question. Mini uh, Dhritarash, okay. Okay, uh, Jijit Nadumuri is saying, Bhishma Nirvan is uh, beautifully correlated uh, by Ashok Bhatnagar. All right, well, uh, what I would encourage uh, Jijit, since you seems to have connection with Ashok Bhatnagarji, is uh, uh, to see if um, uh, you can uh, present his position and then we can take it over. I don't know what you mean by beautifully correlated. I would <laughs> encourage you to read my correlation. And um, uh, th that uh, basically what I've done on the Bhishma Nirvan and uh, you'll see how beautiful it is. Okay. And this is, uh, uh, we are talking of objective research. So the beauty is in the eyes of beholder doesn't apply. Okay, so I would encourage you to read that. Right. Um, uh, okay, Jijit is asking another question. Uh, how do you reconcile your 5561 BC war date with the Puranic King list? Very good, glad you asked. And Raj Vedamji, you had asked this question and uh, I forgot to answer that. I'm going to, uh, instead of giving a long answer, I'm going to ask all of you to read a blog that I have written at my blog site. And again, I'll, in response to Jijit's question, I'll type that particular blog link there afterwards. Is I have given a title, uh, uh, tale, tale of Two Unknowns. 
the problem with the king list well let's talk about the good of king list the very fact we have these king list you know the dynasty list genealogies of kings we have in the Kshwaku dynasty, like many kings before Ram, many kings after Ram. We have the same thing with um, Pandava dynasty or Kuru dynasty before Pandavas, many after Pandavas. So the fact that these lists are maintained, that is additional evidence for the historicity of Mahabharata. Uh, but the question is, how does it coins, uh, correlate with 5561 BCE? And I call this, my blog title is a uh, blog article title, Tale of uh, tale of two unknowns. What are the two unknowns? The first thing we need to do this, we need an exact list of all the kings. And if you go to the various lists, there is a list in Bhagavad Puran, there is a list, of course, in Mahabharata itself, there is a list in Ramayan, there is a list in Harimausha, and many other Puranas, we have this list and other literature. What you will find is um, the list is not complete. Number one, how do we know that? Because if you bring uh, this identical sounding list from multiple sources, you find in one list between the two kings, there are many kings that are missing that are mentioned in the other list. And this goes on and on. There is something else. Uh, at least I found two lists. Uh, I can't recall now, Hariyamsha and maybe some other Quran, where it is very clearly stated that these are the list names of only prominent kings only prominent kings which means even uh, they are making it very clear that not only the list is not complete but even by design they are not into the business of mentioning every name so that's one unknown the second unknown is in order to use the genealogy list to go back to a the, the timing of Mahabharata or any other historical instance, you also need the duration for each of the king. Now, as a, a crude calculations, what many have done is they have taken this list of kings. Sometimes they have added some kings. Oh, maybe we are missing 20% or 30%, you know, and then they have assumed a average duration, average time for the rule of each king. Now, these numbers go from 14 to 50. Okay, 14 years per average for each king to 50 years for each king. Now, everyone has made their assumption. And if you multiply the two numbers, you get a time period. What is interesting is if you have two unknowns and if you have a specific final thing in your mind, a specific date, say 5561 BC, it's um, uh, solving a simulation with two unknowns, guys, those of you who, who have done this, uh, you know what? Uh, we, we should be glad, we are glad that we have this king list. It does allow us to directionally uh, put one king uh, in terms of chronology, who is uh, before who, and in that sense it's useful. We can also take guesses, just like people have already done, from 14-year average time to 50-year average time, and you can possibly calculate the ranges, you know, how far back we can go. Having said that, you must keep in mind that we truly don't know the duration of each king or even a decent estimate for what the average time was. And even if we have, what will it do? And the second point which I mentioned that we don't have a complete list. So we are playing with the two unknowns. It's still useful in a relative chronology sense. It is not useful. It is actually dangerous for 
calculating, estimating the absolute chronology. Okay, so let's go down. Uh, our Dr. Aparna Dhir is asking, as we find many theories hinted in metaphorical language in Vedic literature, do we have same pattern followed in Mahabharata as well? Well, Mahabharata uh, has has used a lot of metaphor. I mean, it's a it's an epic poem. It's a Arsha Kavya, and naturally, it has used a lot of metaphor, simile, uh, you know, analogies and whatnot. And we should use all that as a evidence because if you go to say Patanjali, I mean, he, in his Yoga Sutra, uh, he says Pratyaksha Anumana Agama Pramanan. So Pratyaksha Anumana and also the Agama, which is the background knowledge, you know, that leads you to uh, your uh, uh, explanation or description that is Pramanani. And then if you go to uh, Nyaya Shastra, then you have Pratyaksha Anumana Upamana Shabda Pramanan. So analogies, uh, metaphor can also be interpreted uh, in arriving at some realization. But uh, so I'll leave it at that. So yes, there are a lot of analogies. There are a lot of simile metaphors, uh, whatnot. Um, it's left to us uh, to figure it out in the context if there is uh, some uh, secret knowledge or some esoteric knowledge uh, capped into those metaphors. All right, let's go down. Um, Maloshi Sinna is asking the Mahabharata war date mentioned in your research work is different to dates mentioned by other researchers. What is your opinion on it? Well, this the whole talk is about this. Uh, and uh, so, but great question again. And what I will say is this, uh, it is good that we have so many researchers coming up with so many different dates, proposals for the timing of Mahabharata war. That is required in any research. If you look at quantum mechanics right now in describing it, there are, uh, I mean, last time I, I used to uh, research into the philosophical issues of quantum mechanics many years ago. And last time, this was going back many years. Uh, last time I looked at it, there were 17, I did a review paper, there were 17 different uh, theories in explaining quantum mechanics. So my point is, it's good that there are many proposals because, you know, the, all of these, they allow me to study uh, what I might have done wrong, what they might have done wrong. But to answer your question, uh, based on all that I have studied, uh, I have more than 130 different claims, not all of them in the original, because actually some of them just mention the claim. Oh, I think it's 3102 BC. But just because that person happens to be some well-known person, it becomes like so-and-so is saying it happened in 3102 BC. In science, it doesn't work like that. I mean, for every claim, you have to provide your evidence. So the, my point is, based on all that I have reviewed, I can say my, my 5561 BCE, originally proposed by Dr. P. V. Vartak, he did it in a different fashion. He did not look at Arundhati Vasishta observation and so on. Um, this is the best effort that is there in determining the chronology of Mahabharata war. Now, I, uh, you know, bar none. Okay, now this may sound as very bombastic and that's fine. Uh, but you know what, uh, if you look at Bhagavad Gita, uh, the Daivi, uh, Daivi Prakruti or Daivi qualities, you know, Krishna mentions Abhayam Sattva Samashuddhir Jnana Yoga Vyavasthiti. You know, you have to be fearless in your claims. And of course, uh, it ends with Amanita. You have to be humble about it. Okay, so the humble part is that uh, I could be wrong. And uh, if somebody uh, shows this to be the case, I would be the happiest person. 
The reason is the day somebody proves that my date is wrong, which means he or she has come up with a better proposal, which means we have made a progress in understanding uh, more about this Mahabharata war. The fearless part is based on my study. I feel very comfortable asserting that mine is the best proposal, the best type of quality research when it comes to determining the timing of Mahabharata war and not limited to just astronomy evidence, even though I have focused in my book only on the astronomy evidence. Okay. Uh, okay, Jijit, I see your question. I'm going to go down. I'll come back to you. I want to just make sure I take questions from others too. Um, okay, uh, I'll, I'll come back to some questions. Pramod is asking, was there ever an effort by our uh, illustrious ancestors to sit down and give an undisputed chronology? Can it at least happen in our lifetime? Well, I don't know the answer to the second question, uh, but to the first question, the undisputed chronology, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know anyone who has written it. But again, the reason is if you consider the uh, Indian uh, view of Itihas, and uh, recently I read a definition, uh, one of the many definitions by uh, Vishwa Adluri and Joydeep Bakshi. And I liked it. This was uh, in the interview that came in the Suraja magazine. And I can't uh, quote this whole thing, but uh, uh, what they have said, I agree with it. As long as there is no, uh, there is no such uh, unhidden meaning behind uh, what they have written. Uh, so, the, yes, there is a concept of history is there, a empirical data is there, but there is no overemphasis. And again, you know, this is, I'll, I'll take another question related to that, which I get all the time, which is somebody saying, but why are you so obsessed with the chronology of Mahabharata? Why not just only look at the spiritual aspect, the adhyatmic aspect? And uh, my, uh, I mean, I don't know what to answer. I usually smile and walk away. But the point is, uh, I don't know of any... Mahabharata researchers who's working on chronology has anything against to say about the adhyatmic aspect of Mahabharata. Okay, so I mean, there is no either or scenario. We have to focus on adhyatmic aspect. There are so many other beautiful aspects in the Mahabharata. Personalities, characters, uh, amazing, amazing thing. I mean, you can pick one subject and you could be working for the rest of your life on that. Uh, so this is not obsession. But if we accept this as a history, as soon as we accept that this is something happened in the past, there is every reason to find out when it happened or at least make an attempt, try to find out when it happened. Uh, Pramoji, I may not have answered all your question exactly. I'll try to answer uh, after the chat. Uh, let's see. I mean, I just wanted to know whether you have considered phenomenon of fall of Yayati from Swarga from Mahabharata, uh, from Mahabharata, Mahabharata text. To answer your question, no, I have not looked at it. Uh, I know some others have looked at it. Uh, one name I'll mention is uh, Srimati Rupa Bhati. I mean, she's working on Agastya, but she has uh, worked on this or at least trying to work on this. Uh, but I have not. Okay. And uh, guys, I mean, it, we have to actually uh, uh, do one thing. I mean, try take one problem, try taking one problem from any of uh, our literature, Mahabharata, Ramayana, anything else, uh, Rugveda and try to solve it and you will see uh, how many levels deep one has to go uh, before uh, before that magic happens you know and we have to have that trust because there is no guarantee 
that you may be able to solve the problem. But one guarantee is always there. Even if you don't solve the problem, you will always learn so much about that subject by simply trying to solve the problem. In fact, you would become an authority on that problem. Okay, so um, let's see. I don't see any more questions added below. Um, so I can go down and we will go for uh, another 10 or 15 minutes. So if you have any questions, please type there uh, and uh, then, then we will stop. Okay, uh, so I'm going to go through the list backwards and uh, let's see. Okay, uh, so Jijit, I'm going, coming back to your comment there. Please see, also see Dr. Bibila's archaeology fieldwork. How do you reconcile your work with this? Okay, so that's a great question, Jijit. So let's understand uh, what um, great uh, Dr. B.B. Lal has done. He's now 96 year old. Um, and he started um, uh, in the archaeology department. I have his uh, four or five different books, including his uh, uh, autobiography uh, and many other books that he wrote on the Saraswati and whatnot. Uh, so what he did is um, he started with Archaeology Survey of India, did a lot of field works at many sites. At some point, and by the way, I should mention that Bibilal is uh, one of the great names. When he began his work, uh, he had originally uh, accepted the arguments of Aryan invasion theory, the so-called Aryan, Aryan invasion theory. And then uh, as he continued his work in the light of additional evidence, he, he's, he realized that the Aryan invasion theory is not tenable. Now that was purely based on the uh, archaeology evidence, but also some additional evidence from uh, Rugved and uh, uh, additional archaeology evidence. So he, he changed his position. And you know what? Even in science, that happens very rarely. And uh, then he rejected Aryan invasion theory. So that's his background. Now, uh, in 50s, 1950s, he did some uh, excavation, he and his team at uh, the places which were uh, considered uh, related to Mahabharata, for example, Hastinapur uh, and Kurukshetra and whatnot, so, uh, and Mathura. So Hastinapur, there was, there's a place called Hatinapur or something like that, close on the bank of Ganga uh, in the Merit district. And so that's where he uh, found certain uh, area uh, next to the river and uh, he, he did some uh, archeological excavation there. Now, how, Jijit's question is, how do I relate to this? Well, what they found uh, is, uh, you know, some pottery. Uh, they some found some uh, fish hooks and uh, so on and so forth, different layers. Actually, the number of those layers, to the best of my knowledge, do not go anywhere below uh, 2000 BC, based on the archaeological techniques they use to date these different layers. So how do I relate to it? Well, this is how I will summarize. There's a lot of archaeological excavations have taken place, not just limited to B.B. Lal, but in the recent years uh, in the context of Sindhu Saraswati civilization. And we are finding many more like Birana is one, Rakhigari is another, and there are many more. I was at the uh, Saraswati conference that Jijit, you were also there and I forgot the name, but uh, this person presented evidence uh, from going back to again 2000 BC from Rajasthan. Uh, near Kalibangan, but west, uh, uh, west of Kalibangan. So there is a lot of uh, new work is being done. How that relates to my date? So far, anything that we have found in 
from archaeological excavation does not relate, repeat, does not relate to any descriptions, any descriptions of Mahabharata text. So just because we found something at a location like say Hastinapur or Hathinapur, which is uh, in our times we are identifying to be same as Hastinapur, we cannot just jump and see a pot there and say, okay, this pot was uh, used by someone in Mahabharata times. So the problem I see is the problem of inferences. The problem is not of the data. The evidence, whatever archaeological excavation has found is great and is still going to tell us about our uh, uh, ancient civilizations and whatnot. But it, uh, there is nothing that connects with uh, the Mahabharata uh, text. Now, I know the arguments have been made about PGW, uh, the painted graver or some other, uh, what is that, new polished black pottery and whatnot. But uh, where is the descriptions for that is connected to Mahabharata? Even if first thing there is no description, no connection. But suppose you find it for argument's sake. You are, you also know that these potteries are found out, and especially with a new research over a period of thousand years. So the pottery existed. How can you find a quick pottery and connect that with a historical event? And this is the challenge. This is the problem that's not limited to Mahabharata. This is the problem of Aryan invasion theory. So they find something in Central Asia, they find, uh, you know, in excavation, some chariot or a horse and they immediately relate to Rugved or, uh, you know, the war. And, you know, that's that has no connection. There may be a connection, but you need additional evidence before you can put this together as a jigsaw puzzle. So to summarize, there is no archaeology evidence that has been found that can be uh, matched with the descriptions of Mahabharata text. And Anything that has been found in the archaeological evidence does not contradict, does not falsify, does not conflict with my proposal of 5561 BC for the Mahabharata war. But that was a great question, Jijit. Uh, let's see if I have missed anything. Uh, okay. And bear with me, I don't know if when you type something, if it goes to the top. Uh, okay, so if I if I see unless you have new questions, I'm just going to go here. Uh, okay, I, I see new questions there. Let's uh, bear with me, stay for a few more minutes and I'll try to answer a few additional questions. Uh, Arya Prakash Dash asks, have you considered any mythical characters like Yakshas, Daityas and the Vimanas? Uh, missiles, etc. They were very metaphorical, allegorical. How does it fit into your thesis? Does all these facts negate Mahabharata as a historical event? Again, a great question. Have you considered any mythical characters? Uh, Yaksha, Daityas? No, I have not considered Yaksha and Daitya. Uh, these are great subjects to look at. Vimanas. Now, I know there is a reference of Vimana uh, in Mahabharata, like uh, I'm going to say the wrong name, but you know, the, this king fought with Krishna, Saub, I think, or maybe the name of his uh, uh, Viman was Saub. Uh, he, he fought with Krishna and Krishna fought from the ground and uh, Dr. P. V. Vartak has given great descriptions of this and uh, possible uh, speculations, conjectures about what these individual, uh, uh, you know, military equipments could be. But that subject aside, I have not given any uh, attention to these from Mahabharata. When it comes to uh, Ramayan, the Pushpak Viman, and again, I have not given any attention because we don't have any 
uh, evidence that is objectively testable. But let me make a couple of points related to this. Uh, how uh, we make confusion, uh, we confuse ourselves with the inference, how to draw scientific inference. Um, a number of you may know this name, um, uh, Jayant Narayikar, you know, uh, astronomer uh, who worked with uh, Sir Fred Hoyle and worked on a steady state model, uh, you know, as opposed to Big Bang model or expand, expand, uh, expanding universe. Uh, now, in somewhere in critiquing or whatever he's mentioned uh, related to Ramayana, he said, I have not seen any drawings of the uh, engine, the fuselage or jet engine of Viman, of Pushpak Viman. So unless I see such a thing, I'm not willing to believe uh, in the Ramayana. And then by extended inference, therefore, Ramayana itself. So not just the Pushpak Viman, but the Ramayana itself. Now, what is wrong with such inferential logic? Just go back, say, 400 years and ask this question when the aeroplanes did not exist. And suppose uh, this number of us and we uh, in our previous reincarnation there, we were sitting uh, below a tree and we were discussing this subject. What kind of evidence we would have demanded 400 years ago for the Pushpakviman? We wouldn't have talked possibly about the drawings for the aeroplane or a fuselage and whatnot. So the point I'm making is uh, what we demand as evidence or how we draw the inferences or what we can test any historical statement can be tested or our ability to test. It changes with our knowledge. It changes with the technology. And so this journey will continue. But as of now, when it comes to Pushpak Viman, we don't have anything that we can test in an objective fashion. But until then, we have to take a statement. We don't have to say, therefore, Pushpak Viman existed, but then no one can come and say the Pushpak Viman did not exist because we don't have a diagram of its jet engine. All right. Um, so let's see what else they had. Uh, how does it fit into your thesis? Uh, does all these facts negate Mahabharata as a historical event? I will encourage you to read, uh, to listen to some of my lectures where I do bring this point. It is a Arsha Kavya uh, or Ramayana is a Adi Kavya. And in a Kavya or even in an ordinary writing, I mean, if you see the writings from the Second World War or if you watch uh, World War movies, what you will find is like a pattern and whatnot. You will find certain aspect exaggerated for a theatrical effect. The same thing will happen possibly with the poem. So yes, there could be a allegory, there could be, uh, you know, metaphor, there could be exaggerations. And these all things are very natural to a epic poetry. But still, we can easily separate out the chaps from the grain. And uh, my multiple readings of both Ramayana and Mahabharata tell me that that is very much possible. It is possible. Uh, so you don't have to negate the entire Mahabharata just because you don't have or we don't have objectively testable evidence for a certain aspect or certain descriptions of Mahabharata. We can keep that aside. I mean, in a, in a uh, psychological sense, don't we do that with uh, our fellow human beings? You know, certain aspect of personality of another individual, another friend, colleague, your family uh, partner, uh, you don't like, but you try your best to keep that aside and work with what you can. You know, it's the same thing here. Uh, all right. Uh, Rupa Bhatiji is asking, please do share your views on AV observation where the pole star with Saptarshi is not mentioned. Ah, 
but Ramayan uh, mentions Saptarshi with pole star. Uh, brilliant. Okay. Now, uh, yeah. As one can see, many star. Okay. I, I don't have to um, name Rishi. Took curiosity. Okay. I'll I'll just answer that top part, and the rest is your comment. So this is from Rupa Vatiji. He says, please do, please do share a view on AV observation where the pole star. Thank you for bringing it up. This is very interesting, guys. Uh, in the Mahabharat, there is no mention of a pole star, meaning this particular being a pole star or ah, I'm looking at the sky and a pole star is shining brightly. Nothing like that. Now, some researchers have misunderstood, for example, a description that was meant for Mars. Okay, because the word Dhruva doesn't always mean a pole star. It means a sthira or a steady, you know. So my Mars description, it says Dhruvam prajulitam goram apasavya pravartate chitra swatyantare cheva dishtitah parushagraha. So Mars has become steady between chitra and swati and shining brightly. It, it has gone retrograde. That is what the description is. And then it says Vakranu Vakram Krutvam Chashravane Pavaka Prabha Brahma Rashi Samavrutta Lohitango Vevastita. And that Brahma Rashi is Nakshatra Abhijit or Vega. Okay. So it uh, Mars came by the time of the war and aligned itself along Brahma Rashi. But there is no mention of a pole star. Arundhati Vasishta are walking around a empty space so to say but by empty space I mean there is no distinct star next to the point of pole star NCP North Celestial Pole there is no distinct star in Mahabharata times that itself would eliminate certain time intervals for example uh, around 3000 BC Tuban a very distinct star was our pole star uh, but Mahabharata doesn't mention any pole star on the other hand as uh, Rupaji asked me there to talk about it you go to the uh, time of uh, Ramayana. Now, I came up with this time based on multiple references, three, four independent references from different kanda of Ramayana. And they led me to this broad interval of sometime from, say, 10,500 BC to 17,500 BC. Okay. And one of the four references there, it refers to uh, the North Pole Star of Ramayana times. Isn't that interesting? Brahm, you know, the Brahma Rashi is described as the star, uh, pole star, around which Saptarshis are rotating. This is the description from Ramayana. And using precision of equinoxes, if you go backwards, you find that the star Brahma Rashi, Abhijit or Vega, different names referring to the same star, was our pole star was closest to the point of North Celestial Pole, closest to the NCP in the year 12,048 BCE. And so from that point, plus minus easily 1,000 years, 2,000 years, even possibly 3,000 years, uh, we would consider that the people of that time would have considered that as a pole star because that's where it is. So Ramayana is referring to Brahma Rashi as a pole star, Saptarshi is going around it in Mahabharata, there is a description of Saptarshi going in around Arundhati walking ahead of Vasishta, but absolutely no mention of a pole star. And then she is referring to additional comment of uh, Agastya, which is also interesting, uh, both in Ramayana and Mahabharata. So I'll briefly mention it that Sage Agastya is mentioned in Ramayana, also in Mahabharata. 
but with through all these astronomy descriptions especially ramayan where there is a journey of ram to the south okay where, where the agasthi would be uh, easily visible there is a mention of agasthi sage in the panchavati there is a mention of agasthi during the war but there is no mention whatsoever of star agasthi during the ramayan times and actually even in the mahabharata times by the way uh, but i will skip mahabharata for a minute but ramayan times and why is that because uh, the, at least my proposed time 12209 bce when in the northern hemisphere brahma rashi which is same as abhijit or vega was a pole star and do you know who was a pole star in the southern hemisphere the southern pole star it was agasthi agasthi was closest agasthi meaning canopus closest to the point of south celestial pole around 12000 bc and therefore not visible from india or even the south india so this is a negative this is an example illustration of a negative evidence again this is not to be seen as powerful as a positive evidence but even there it's amazing that ramayan has lot of mention of sage agasthi but no mention of people seeing the agasthi star canopus because it wasn't visible in 12000 bc okay quickly and i want to stop in 2 minutes uh, maitrani shares okay so uh, rupa bhati ji is giving some additional comments and i will listen to that and i'll comment uh, okay jijit uh, just last uh, let's see if there are any other questions i'll take this as a last question from jijit or his comment rather Uh, he is saying dr ashok bhatnagar is an astronomer himself and his date of 1792 bce for a mahabharat war correlates well with archaeology and with puranic king list uh, than all the other mbh dates including yours okay this was appreciated by dr bb lal archaeologist uh, professor waldia bala discovered drying up saraswati by 2000 bc that is correct the saraswati did dry by 2000 bc and some other scientist uh, nalini rao okay jijit uh, i mean i'm i'm going to see if i can find a question there uh, if not i have to skip this okay he says he will introduce me to them and uh, would like to know my review of their work and uh, their review of uh, uh, my work well that's great uh, in fact uh, what we need to do i think as a next stage for all mahabharat researchers and that's because we are referring to mahabharat chronology but this applies to any other a knotty problem you know tough problem in this whole space of indic research is that um, the, we should uh, compile what different people have said about that problem uh, or and their solution and critique it critique it rationally critique critique it brutally okay and that's how we are going to make progress but what, uh, and i hope that this happens what i am seeing is uh, and uh, i don't know if ashok bhatnagar ji or the other names you are mentioning nalini rao uh, if uh, they are on the indic book club uh, or some other forum uh, but you know we can do this in a forum we can do this uh, one on one um, and i know um, uh, i rec uh, recently received a email from uh, uh, niraji nira mishra ji uh, who organized this uh, mahabharat uh, manthan conference and she said you know she is very keen on uh, doing a uh, one or two day uh, seminar purely dedicated to astronomy uh, astronomy based chronology of mahabharat war and want to bring uh, multiple researchers doing this and that's that's a great initiative what is important to remember is that before even we get to that stage 
there's a lot of pre-work that we need to do and specifically the pre-work I'm referring to is that every researcher should able to clearly state the statement of their theory. For example, the statement of my theory for both Ramayana and Mahabharata uh, books or works is that all the astronomy observations, astronomy descriptions of Mahabharata text and Ramayana text are actual factual visual observations of the sky. That is the statement of my theory. In a similar fashion, all of these researchers have to do the same. Then uh, we talk of the triangle of the scientific triangle, the logic of scientific discovery, the explanation, prediction and testing. So we need to make a list of all the observations. So we get into the agreement. Then we get into the agreement on the translation of it, explanation. And then we get into the predictions, actually everybody's predictions, which one match, which one do not match. There is a simple scientific tool known as verisimilitude or truth likeness score. And it simply looks at all the evidence for a specific category, in this case, astronomy evidence, and splits it into two for every single proposal or theory. The number of observations that match corroborate for that proposal and the number of observations that do not corroborate with that proposal. And we just have that as a score, like a tennis score, 6-1. So if in my case, for uh, my um, Mahabharata research, I looked at more than 215 observations. So let's stick to 215. And the very similitude or truth likeness score for my proposal, my theory is 210 that agree with mine to five that do not uh, agree for my timeline. And I know some of you would like to jump and say, oh, which are those five? They are discussed in my book, but I'll tell you those five observations that do not match or I cannot corroborate them from the Mahabharata text for my timeline. No other researcher, I repeat, no other researcher has succeeded in corroborating those five for their timeline also. On the other hand, uh, those who I could corroborate, uh, the other researchers have not crossed the number, crossed the barrier of 10 observation. I repeat, 10 observation out of 215 to go further to match for any of the timeline. Uh, so, yes, the, Jijit, so that's a great idea I and mean, you can take initiative and uh, uh, help us do that. That's great. And uh, Mahabharata war would be just starting point because it's very critical and we can move on uh, to uh, other uh, serious problems uh, in our Indic tradition and we can make progress. Okay. All right. So I, with this, uh, I am going to stop. Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah. So uh, thank you very much for those of you who still uh, stuck around. Uh, we went a bit over time, 10 minutes over time. Uh, I want to thank um, uh, Hari Kiranji for uh, taking this initiative to start various uh, different proposals, different uh, um, initiatives under this Indic Book Club, Indic Academy uh, and whatnot. I want to also thank uh, Dimple Kalji who uh, assisted me getting to this stage in, uh, in doing this chat, uh, Facebook live chat. And uh, thanks to all of you for joining this. Those of you who asked questions and those of you who made uh, these comments, uh, that's how it uh, enriches our discussion and uh, makes us progress uh, expanding our knowledge. Okay. All right. So I want to stop here. 
uh, I will go through the list after this talk and if there are any questions or any comments uh, that I did not have a chance to respond to I will uh, definitely respond even if in brief I will do that okay so thank you very much again I know it would be uh, late night um, in, in India or wherever you are at your time uh, Sunday so enjoy your rest of the Sunday uh, thank you very much for joining me and uh, Namaskar